Some years ago, I came across this passage when it was about 35 degrees centigrade, nearly 40 degrees, and I was attempting fasting as a teenager in a far-off country. But there was uh, no sympathy from the Romanian believers there. Uh, they didn't say, you know, take it easy on yourself. Don't, don't, don't hold back on the sackcloth and ashes sort of thing. Now, this was a, a church that was disciplined, that had survived through communism, who knew what it meant to put their life on the line for the gospel. And so they were encouraging us to follow God wholeheartedly, which was a wonderful starting point for my Christian walk. But this is the passage the associate pastor said he always tried to fast with. And to give you a little bit of context, uh, Addy Popper, his name, was a phenomenal musician, uh, one of the, the best musicians in his country. He could have been playing in uh, one of the orchestras in uh, Bucharest. Uh, but instead, he was an associate pastor of a, a Baptist church in uh, the rural southeast of Romania and spent his spare time planting churches. And planting churches for him meant going around in a, a communist um, legacy country, becoming orthodox again, and taking his keyboard into a market square and playing songs that had been written in the Songs of Fellowship book and being translated by himself into Romanian. And he would sit there and play the songs until a crowd gathered round, and then he would preach a gospel of repentance and confession to them. And when some of them turned, he would form a church community out of this. It wasn't easy. When I went out two years later, we had eggs thrown at us by the son of the Orthodox priest who <laughs> didn't like this cult being there. Uh, and it was hard. And he lived off $40 a month with his family. They had to grow vegetables and an allotment borrowed from his in-laws in order to simply survive. In his house was on the wall a crown of thorns with gruesome-sized thorns in it. And his whole life was lived out under the authority of the cross and under the authority of true repentance. So when he said, turn to this passage, it made a lot of sense to me. And you'll, you'll note, I think, two things from this passage. The one is that it describes what fasting looked like for uh, Israelites. And you'll remember this from the book of Jonah. Sackcloth and ashes and bowing of heads and humbling themselves. Not eating, uh, separating away from normal activities. And it may be as Lent begins that there are some activities you've chosen to separate yourself from, whether it's uh, binge TV watching or alcohol or some sort of food or snacking or Facebook or whatever it may be that you may have uh, chosen to separate yourself from. And this is clearly a good thing uh, for us to have rhythms of our life where we pause and go, actually, I'm going to stop with the routine, uh, partly as a self-assessment, partly as a detox, partly as a sign of genuine penitence to God saying, I need your help, I can't get this right on my own. But coupled with the giving up in Isaiah 58 is a taking up as well. And the taking up is of the things that Jesus mentions in Luke chapter 4, uh, also echoes of Isaiah. The breaking of yokes, the setting the oppressed free. It's the things where you care for the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And, and that general loving of people. The promise that if we do that taking up as well then is in verse 8, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. I don't know 
what your experience of fasting is. Um, one of the occasions where Jesus says that prayer, and in at least one script, fasting is needed, is after the transfiguration. Do you remember the, the great transfiguration? There's a lectionary reading last Sunday. They, they go up the mountain, they see three shining figures together, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Uh, and down the bottom, the disciples, the remaining nine, are trying to heal someone. And they can't do it. And Jesus comes down the mountain and, and heals them straight away. And they say, why couldn't we do this? We've got lots of experience of bringing the kingdom of God. Why, why couldn't we do it? And he simply says, that kind can only come out by prayer and at least in one script, and fasting as well. So there's clearly something about fasting that releases us into a bigger and fuller ministry, but also maybe enables us to receive something ourselves that we might not otherwise have. And that, that's activated as we give away and take up, as well as as we reduce what we're doing. Um, but it then carries on uh, towards the end of the passage um, with uh, some verses that we've often referred to about St. Albans. Um, I think Mike smiled as we were saying these. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called a repairer of broken walls and a restorer of streets with dwellings. Wonderful promise, isn't it, of uh, restoration and hope coming in for this fasting people who are helping the poor and looking after the needy, including their own flesh and blood, who they very challengingly are told not to turn away from. But this promise to be a repairer of broken walls and a restorer of streets with dwellings comes with at least three ifs after it. You may have heard them in the reading. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing what you please on the holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find the joy of the Lord. So often we go to the book of Nehemiah and say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do you get the joy of the Lord? Well, Isaiah 58 says simply, don't break the Sabbath, call the Sabbath a delight, and don't go the way you please or speak idle words. On such a day. The call of Ash Wednesday, the call of Lent, is to return to the Lord with our hearts, to rebuild into our year um, a sense of rhythm, a sense of purpose, and a sense of discipline. It's actually one of the joys of the more liturgical churches that we have these rhythms of the year because it makes a very sensible assumption, and the assumption it makes is that over the year we will have screwed up (laughs) and we need to turn back. It makes the assumption that holding together all aspects of Christianity on every day of the year is impossible for us. And so we have rhythms where we think more about Jesus' coming, where we have times of deep repentance, and then times of extraordinary rejoicing at Easter. It acknowledges for us that not every day is Easter, as much as we live in the resurrection era. But there are times where we need to burrow deep, root out the rubbish from our hearts, and tell God that we need to start again with him. I'm just guessing that there's every chance that there are people in this room today who have not kept the Sabbath, not called it a delight, (laughs) spoken their own idle words along the way. There's every chance that we haven't honored our own flesh and blood, that we haven't always provided the wanderer with shelter, and when we have employed spiritual disciplines, we've kind of wondered why God hasn't just done what we wanted when we wanted (laughs) Isaiah 58 reorientates us and says, look, take a big step back. (laughs) Have a look at the bigger picture. Where's your heart in all this? 
pause, think, pray. There's space to come back to God, space to turn to him. And as you do so, verse 8, your light will break forth like the dawn, your, quickly, your healing will quickly appear, your righteousness will go before you. And verse 14, you will find your joy in the Lord. Praying that we all have a very joyful, healing-filled and light-filled Lent this year as we put into practice this incredible chapter. May God bless this word to us today.